if you want to catch up on that particular week. If uh, you happen to be watching on Facebook this morning, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, if you don't know, we have Facebook uh, service at 11 o'clock right here on our Facebook page. And so if you happen to not be here one Sunday or on vacation, uh, you can always tune in to the service, the 11 o'clock service on Facebook Live. So uh, if you're watching from on Facebook, thank you for watching this morning. So uh, this coming week, there's some really cool things happening ar- around. Uh, first of all, today, uh, if you're a volunteer here at the Ridge Church, uh, a, a connector, as we like to call you, uh, we have a, a gathering for you at one o'clock uh, today. So uh, we're going to feed you. We got food and some drinks and, and we're going to spend about an hour together this afternoon. So hope that you'll stick around for that. But uh, coming up on Thursday night, uh, the city of Oak Ridge puts on this great event called the Halloween event, city Halloween event. And so they uh, get together down at the Civic Center here in town and they uh, have games and candy and hay rides and all kinds of stuff. And most of it's free. And it's just a great event for kids. And so if you're looking for a, a, an easy way to, to do some trick-or-treating and some games and stuff like that, come out to that. I think it gets up started around 6 o'clock or so. Uh, we've got some of our small groups down there serving uh, on Thursday night, partnering with the city. And so uh, for those of you that are doing that, thank you so much for that. And it's just going to be a great time. We, we have the opportunity to do it every year, and we love doing it. So uh, if you get a chance to go out to that, uh, please go out and do that and uh, support the city. As, as I'll say hi to some Rich Church volunteers. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 2 Samuel. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, so 2 Samuel, you get 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, just take a right, you'll get there. Uh, look it up in the table of contents if you can't find it. There's no shame in that uh, at all because I do it all the time. So um, anyway, uh, also, if you need a Bible, we have those for you uh, out at Ridge Central, and you can grab one of those if you happen to need one. Uh, but of course, uh, the best and my favorite way is to just download the YouVersion Bible app uh, in the App Store, click on Events, and then actually click on More, and then Events, and you find Ridge Church right there, and you can follow along uh, there as well. So as we get started this morning, I'm going to uh, introduce you to, by far, one of my favorite characters in a movie ever. Like, absolutely, hands down, favorite character ever in a movie and I get to introduce him to you today. Uh, I love him. You're going to love him. The Millers love him. So watch this. Check this out, and uh, you'll see who I'm talking about. What's up, dog? Not much, dog. What's up with you? I'm here to pick up Casey, you know what I'm saying? What's your name, man? Sky P, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I'm awake and I speak English, so yeah, I do know what you're saying. Hi. Bye. We're going to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where do you think you're going? Would you please have a seat? Hey, those are cool tats, man. Oh, for real. Thank you, bro. You yeah. see the cobra? I mean, what is this one? Oh, this? Uh-huh. That's my credo. No regrets. Mm-hmm. You have no regrets? Dad? No. Nope. Like, not even a single letter? No nah. way. <laughs> not me. Well, I love him. I think he's great. Hey. Scotty, no, I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Uh, Scotty P. So if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, that is a uh, that's not a family friendly movie. So don't go home and be like, "Come on, kids, let's gather around and watch this movie." Uh, I'm a, a pastor, but I'm also human, and I like to laugh. So I watched it. It's good. So uh, anyway, so Scotty P. By far, again, one of my favorite characters in any movie ever because he just says, "No, nah, I'm saying like every other every other sentence," and it's it's great. But uh, Scotty P. 
has a regret or two, maybe, and he has it tattooed on his chest, right? Uh, at least the letter E should be a regret if he's not, uh, you know, not paying attention. But um, I, as I watched that, and as I was watching that, I was kind of laughing about that. By the way, we're, we're talking about regrets in this series. That's what this whole series is about. It's about uh, how Jesus redeems our regrets, takes our regrets, and, and redeems them for his honor, for his glory, because we've all got regrets. But um, I wanted to show a few more maybe possible regrets uh, that maybe you can relate to, maybe some of us can. So obviously we have Scotty P and his uh, regret there. Uh, here's another one. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but uh, but yeah, so that, that little tattoo right there, the tattoo artist obviously did not go to school, uh, and so we got that going on there. Here's another one right here. How about this one? Oh, man. If you've ever had a tattoo, you know that joker hurt, and they messed it up. And here's, here's one more. Ne- never don't give up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there, were, there were a lot more that we, we, we could have shown, but again, this is a family-friendly atmosphere, and so uh, we could not show uh, absolutely all of them. But uh, those are kind of funny, and we can laugh at those, and we laughed at a few last week. I told you a few of my funny regrets as well as some of my not-so-funny regrets, but the truth of the matter is, is we all have regrets, don't we? I mean, like, some of them are funny. We can laugh at some of them. We can poke fun at some of them. Um, but a lot of them are painful. A lot of them that, that, that we think about, a lot of them that, that maybe come to mind when we, we start talking about regrets, a lot of them are, are just painful and they're hard to think about. And they're, they're things that maybe we've, we've pushed way, way deep down into the recess and the corners of our hearts and soul, and, and there are things that, honestly, we don't want to talk about, we don't want to deal with, we just think that, you know what, if I push it down far enough, then I'm not going to have to deal with it, and it'll never come up again, hopefully. But the truth of the matter is, is that they do come up. They're, they're doing something inside of us, and they're, uh, there's something that's, that's happening inside of us with our regrets. And so this series is all about naming, facing, and, and seeing our regrets redeemed by Jesus. Last week we, we talked about how we need to, to see our regrets the way, that, the way that God sees our regrets. Because God looks at our regrets much differently than the way that, that we look at our regrets. In fact, the way that we look at our regrets, most of us look at our regrets and we say that, that whenever that regret happened, whether it was a, a relationship, a, a mistake that we made, something that we did, something that was done to us, maybe it was a sinful regret, maybe it was a regret of something that we said or how we treated someone, whatever that regret is, a lot of us may look at that regret and say that there's a period at the end of that regret as far as my relationship with God, my relationship with the church, my relationship with others. But what we found out last week is, is this, is that oftentimes we put a period where God intends to be a comma. So we shouldn't see our regrets as a place of being a finish line, but we should see our regrets as a new starting line. A place where God says, you know, you can start over. There's a place and a way for you to start over. And so we looked at the life of Peter, and we looked at uh, toward the end of Jesus' ministry with Peter, where Jesus was about to be um, beaten and, and crucified on a cross. And, and just before that happened, Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples and followers, and he's sitting around with uh, the twelve, and he's having a conversation with them. And one of the conversations that he has is with a man by the name of Peter. And 
with Peter, he, he tells him, he says, Peter, before the, the sun comes up this morning, before the rooster crows this morning, you're going to deny knowing me three times. And then a little later that evening, after Jesus had been arrested, Jesus is uh, in the, the court of the high priest officials, and, and so Jesus is just across the way, and Peter's kind of watching from a little bit of a distance and sitting around a campfire, and sitting around that campfire, some people look at Peter and like, hey, you were with Jesus, and Peter is like, no, you got the wrong guy, and there's one, and, and then another person comes along and says, no, 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 wait, we, you're that Galilean, we, we saw you with Jesus, and Peter's like, no, you got the wrong person, and there's two, and then the third one, uh, another person comes up and says, no, but wait, we know that you were with Jesus, we saw you with that man, and it said that Peter denied Jesus the third time, and as he denied him the third time, it said that the, the rooster crowed, and across the way, it said that Jesus looked out of the, the room that he was in being put on trial and looked and locked eyes with Peter as if, told you. And so immediate guilt and regret and shame fell upon Peter. Jesus goes to the cross, is crucified, is taken off of a cross as, as a dead man. And we kind of, we've read the story, like we, we kind of know what happens next, right? Jesus is is, is resurrected, he's alive, he didn't stay dead, he defeated the grave and, and death and, and is alive. And, and a few moments later, Jesus and, and Peter, they have another interaction a, a few more times. And then a few days later, Peter and the rest of the disciples, they're out fishing in a boat. And Jesus is over on shore and calls them to shore. And he has a fire lit for them, just like there was a fire lit for Peter that night. And sitting around that, that campfire, Jesus made breakfast for them. And he's sitting there and he has another conversation with Peter. And it's a redeeming conversation, though. He looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds by, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And, and then Peter, uh, again, is asked by Jesus, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter responds again, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He says, well, then I want you to feed my lambs. And then a third time, Jesus asks Peter again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is a little irritated at this point. He's like, yes, you know that I love you. And and Jesus, again, says, I want you to feed my sheep. And what Jesus is doing in that moment, what we talked about last week, is he's, he's basically just saying, Peter, I still love you. Like, I know you messed up. I know you made some mistakes. I know you've got some regrets. But I want you to know, I still love you. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the thing that just blows my mind, is even in that moment, it's like, I still love you. And he's saying, and I know you're going to mess up again. And Peter does. He messes up again. And I'm going to love you through that. And not only does Jesus say that to him, but he also, uh, through that interaction there, he's also saying to him, Peter, not only do I still love you, even though you've messed up, and even though I know you're going to mess up again, not only do I still love you, but I still have a purpose for you. Like, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not finished with you. And so we talked about how last week, about how even if we have regrets, like God's not done with you yet. Like where you've placed that period, God has really placed a comma. So we shouldn't see our regrets as a finish line. We should see our regrets as a new starting line. And so when it comes to regrets, again, we, we've all got them. We've all got them. So the question is, is what do we do with them? Well, I think we, we really have two options. And that's what we're going to talk about today from, from 2 Samuel, is that the options that we have when it comes to our regrets. And the first option is the most obvious option and probably the one that, that we're most familiar with. And option one is just to simply hide our regrets to hide them. We can try to, to hide our regrets, but 
but we, we know it's still there. If, you, if you're a parent and you have children, you kind of know how this works, right? Like our, our kids, they, they do this a lot, don't they? Like they try to hide things and, and we just kind of know it's there. I remember as uh, my kids were growing up, like it almost always happened. I bet it happened with your kids too, but you know, they'd eat something that they weren't supposed to eat, right? Like some pudding or yogurt or, or you know, something like that. And then you'd ask them, hey, did you eat that? And they'd have it all over their face, right? And they'd be like, no. <laughs> You're like, really? Are you sure about that? You want to think about that again? Didn't eat it, right? You know, it's kind of like the Cheetos commercial. I don't know if you saw this new Cheetos commercial that's out, but like this guy comes in, he's got this empty bag of Cheetos, and he's like, who ate all the Cheetos? The whole family's sitting there, and everybody's like, Mm, I don't know, not me, I, I didn't eat them, right? And then he like clicks on this black light and everybody's got like cheesy faces and hands and, and then he looks at the cat and the cat is like covered in cheese, right? It's like, it's so obvious, it's right there, it's right there. But we, we, try to, we try to do that, we try to hide our regrets and hidden regrets, here's the thing, hidden regrets will always be around, will always be around to remind us of past mistakes. Holding on to our regrets and and trying to hide them only leads to more regrets. We talked about that last week. We call, uh, we call that the, the sorry cycle, how, how we, we get trapped in this place of, of just one regret leads to another because we're trying to cover that one up and leads to another and then it leads to another and, and it just is this continual cycle that we find ourselves stuck in. So today, this morning, we want to look at the story of uh, David and Bathsheba. And this might be a, a familiar story to some of you, and it might be a new story to others of you, and that's okay, but uh, the story of David and Bathsheba is an interesting story. There's a lot that's taking place there. We might be familiar with like maybe the first part of it, but not so much with the second part of it. There's a really important thing happening here all around this passage of Scripture. David and Bathsheba is, is one of those stories where uh, I can remember growing up and, and going to Sunday school sometimes, and we would talk about it, but we would talk about it in such a way that it was kind of like uh, really kind of tame. And, and there's not a lot of tameness actually happening in this story. And so let me give you a little context as to what's happening here. Uh, this guy David in, in the Old Testament, he was one of the most, uh, the greatest king in, in, in the history of Israel. In fact, he was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. Uh, at, a, uh, at a young, early age. This is the same David that, that killed Goliath, the giant, same guy, that, that one there. And so he's become king. He's uh, powerful and rich, and, and, but, but he loves the Lord. And, and, and he's after the heart of God, but just like us, he's prone to make mistakes, prone to have regrets. He's prone to do things that are sinful, prone to do things that uh, may be surprising to us in our human nature uh, and to each other, uh, but not at all surprising to God. And so one day in Second Samuel chapter 11, it says that David is, is basically taking a nap, kind of hanging out on the couch. It says that he gets up from the couch uh, one late afternoon and he walks out onto the roof of his palace. And as he's walking out on the roof of his palace, he looks down and it says that he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath. And he sees her and he likes what he sees, and so he's, he tells one of his servants to go get Bathsheba, bring her up. And, and so he does, and she does, and they get together, and, and I don't think I have to explain anything else at that part. But uh, it, things kind of happen, right? And a little later, Bathsheba finds out that she's pregnant. Finds out that she's pregnant. Then everything kind of goes crazier. As if that wasn't crazy enough, right? Things like get like soap opera, Young and the Restless style here, okay? Like things get a little weird. And so 
Bathsheba is married to a man by the name of Uriah. And Uriah, interestingly enough, is not just some guy that happens to be the commander of one of David's armies. Uriah is actually pretty close to David. A a little earlier before this, uh, David found himself in a pretty hairy situation where he needed some people to, to save him. And it was like 30 or 40 men, 30 or 40 of his closest friends, closest people who came to his rescue to save David, and Uriah was actually one of the men that was there. And so David and Uriah, it wasn't like that was just some guy named Uriah that's married to this other woman. Like, they're close. Like, they know each other really, really well. And he's married to Bathsheba. And so David, finding himself in this place, knowing that Bathsheba is now pregnant, he's thinking to himself, I've got this regret. What am I going to do with it? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll hide it. So he calls and has Uriah come from the battlefield where he was at, comes from the battlefield, and he brings him home. And so David thinks, well, here's what I'll do, is I'll have Uriah come and spend a few days at home with his wife. And, you know, they'll be together. He's been gone for a while. He'll come back. Things will happen. I don't think I have to explain that. Things will happen, and, you know, that's how she'll find She'll be pregnant. He'll think it's his. Perfect, right? That's David's plan. Uriah comes home, and essentially, and I'm just paraphrasing here, you can read it in chapter 11, but he, essentially he comes home, and he's, he's thinking, I can't, like, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to stay here at the palace because my men are still out on the battlefield, and I'm not going to give myself the luxury of that when my men are still out on the battlefield. And so Uriah doesn't go home. And so Uriah goes back to the, to the battlefield, and so now David's really in a pickle. He's, he's thinking to himself, man, like, Gosh, how am I going to hide this? How am I going to get rid of this? Like, I can't be found out. Something has to happen here. And so David does something incredible. Is he sends Uriah to the front lines of the battle. And in the process, some things happen. And essentially, by the orders of David, David's next plan, plan B, is just to have Uriah be killed in battle. And that's exactly what happened. And so by the words of the king, Uriah is now dead. So not only has David become a liar and adulterer, but now he is also a murderer. Now he is also a murderer. All to try and hide his regret. All to try to hide what he has done. So one of the, I think, really important lessons that we can learn here, and this is something as I was reading through this story again over the last several weeks, something that just kept coming to mind and something that that honestly comes to to my mind a lot is is simply this, is that um, the, the seeds and the root of what caused David to do what David did exist within the heart of every person in this room. Like to even do what David did, and I'm not just talking about adultery and lying and and that part. I'm talking about even down to murder. Is that seed of evil, that seed of that place exists within every person's heart within the room because of sin. And even the best of us, we all have the ability to do these things. None of us are, are safe from that. Even Jesus would say this later in the New Testament. He would say that, that every kind of evil with, exists within the heart of man. The ability to, to do these things. So, welcome to Ridge Church where we make you feel really good about yourself. Congratulations. 
And listen, like I, that's this is one of those things where I'm just like, man, it, like it bothers me to even think that because I'm, I'm like you. I'm just like, no way. Like I never, it can never be me. The truth of the matter is, is it could be. It could be. But here, here's the, here's the beauty of it. You know that word redeemed. It's by the grace of God through redemption that keeps us from that. Because it's the only healing thing for a broken, fractured heart. It's through the, the grace and the, the love and the, the blood of Christ over us. I often think sometimes, like I, I, I was thinking, you know, that, gosh, you know, there's, there's no way that, there's no way that I, I, I could do those things, but uh, you know, I, I was thinking about recently, we just experienced, you know, the the thing that happened in Las Vegas not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and how horrible and, and tragic those things are. And when we see those things, like, maybe you're like me. I, I used to be in a place where I would look at those things, and I would always say, gosh, I, I just can't believe that somebody would do that. Like, what is it that makes a person do those things? Like, I used to say that, and then several years ago, I, I finally found myself in a place where I just started saying this, I can believe it. Can believe it. Like, I don't say that anymore. I don't say I can't believe somebody would do that. I can believe it. And the reason why I can believe it is because of a fractured heart. Look, here's the crazy thing about David. Think about David. Like, David, you, you, you look at the life of David. David is the same guy, by the way, who wrote most of the Psalms. You read in, in the, like, we love the Psalms, don't we? We read those beautiful words in the Psalms about how great and good and gracious and loving and, and wonderful and mighty and strong God is. Like, David wrote most of those words. He wrote things like, I will delight in the commands of the Lord always. I, will, I delight in pleasing you, Lord. I delight in, in chasing after you, Lord. And, and Jesus, or, or God, would, would call David a man after his own heart despite these things. Tim Keller, he's a uh, writer and, and, and theologian, pastor. Um, and he, uh, he, he, he's, I heard him tell this uh, illustration one time about uh, an acorn tree, like in the sense of like, man, I, I can't believe that that would happen. But uh, you ever seen like just how great, big, massive, you know, these oak trees are and, you know, acorn trees and, and all that. Like, I mean, they're, they're just so huge. And I have one of these, I have several of these actually in my yard. And so they like literally cover my driveway. Like I, I drive across my driveway and it's like driving across like bubble wrap, <laughs> you know, just the whole time, like especially in, in the fall. I mean, just everywhere constantly having to clean them up right and and here's the crazy thing though uh when you think about that tree like how did that tree get there it got there because an acorn fell right the seed sprouted and it grew a tree and it just started dropping acorns and what happens after that more trees right did you know did you know that one acorn tree has the ability when multiplied it has the ability to cover every square inch of the planet's land from one tree. It's crazy, isn't it? As it multiplies, as it, as it grows a tree, drops acorns. As they grow trees, drops acorns. As they grow, like, over and over and over again. And so, like, I, I think about that, and I think to myself, I, can't, I can believe it. I can believe it. And so here's why that's important now. If you think that you have no regret of sin, like last week, 
I, I would challenge you to, to ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask the Lord to search your heart. It's important to, to look for these seeds, for these roots, and then to, to kill them. Because that's the only, the only solution to that. John Owen, he's a, a, a Puritan writer, um, and he wrote this book a long, long time ago called The Mortification of Sin. And in that book, there's this great quote, and he says this. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so it's important to attack it at the root. But not only that, it's also important to think about this. To think about how good the grace of God is. You know, we're familiar with John 3, 16, but let's not forget how great John 3, 17 is. John 3, 17 says this. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved or redeemed through him. And that's such good news, isn't it? That's such good news. It should be good news for every one of us. And so what, what happens next with David? Well, that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1, a couple of verses right here says this. This is what happens after David has Uriah killed, and David thinks that he's gotten away with all of this, that he's hidden his regrets, and he's good to go. And so option one, again, is to simply hide our regrets. Verse 1 of chapter 12, 2 Samuel, says this. It says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan is a prophet. He's a man who just basically hears from the Lord, and then he speaks, speaks those words to other people. And so, God sends Nathan to David. And it says that he came to him and said to him, and so he's going to tell him a story or or a parable, if you will. And it almost sounds like Nathan is going to be telling David about something that's happening down in the kingdom. So listen to what happens. He says, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up, and grew it with, up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd or prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And so again, Nathan is sort of telling this story to David, and David's listening, and so now David is hearing what's happening, and now David's going to get mad. He's going to get actually going to get angry because he thinks that Nathan is letting him know, like, hey, there's, this is what's happening down in the kingdom. What should we do, king? Listen to how David responds, verse 5. It says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And so David sort of just blows up, right? And isn't that what happens is like when we're trying to hide something, when we're trying to get away with something, don't we just sort of overreact and over-exaggerate a little bit? That's what David just did. He's like, what? I can't believe. Are you kidding me? Like, kill that man. That's what he says. 
You see, what Nathan is actually doing is Nathan is using this story to basically paint the picture of what David just did. In fact, listen to what Nathan says next, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are that man. Whoop, there it is. Uh-oh, right? Nathan said to David, hey, I'm talking about you. That's what you did. Thus says the Lord, this is what Nathan says, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And he goes on and he talks about how David got to the place where he was, where he was at. And so now David, David faces this choice, doesn't he? He can hide his regret. Like his, his response to Nathan could be, what? You know, me? I didn't do that. You've got to be kidding. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, he, he could have totally tried to play the whole thing off, right? Like, he, he could have even just continued in the cycle that he was in and had his men come in and take Nathan away. I mean, he was king. He literally could have just had Nathan killed if he wanted to. So David could have chose option one, which was continue to hide his sin and regret, or he chooses option two, which is to expose the regret. And that's the option that he chooses. Listen to verse 13. Verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Isn't that what Jesus just said? I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Nathan could have absolutely said, well, hey, you said it, the man should die, so it's been real, right? That's not what he said at all. He said, basically said, you're right. You've exposed your sin, though. You've exposed your regret. You've stopped hiding it. You've stopped running from it. And now be redeemed from it. And now be redeemed from it. See, I believe, I believe the enemy, with all my heart, wants us to choose option one, to, to hide our regrets so that, so that we'll be defined by our regrets. Last week we talked about how Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and Jesus said, but, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, to give you an abundant life. And, and that's exactly what, what Satan wants to do. He wants you to hold on to your regrets, to hide them, to continue to, to run from them, to not expose them so that that's what you'll be defining yourself by, is by regret and past mistakes and sin. And I want you to put a period at the end of that. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what I've come to do. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal that from you. He wants to steal your life, but I've come to give you life. You see, God didn't send Nathan to David to condemn him, but actually to call him to repentance. 
He didn't send Nathan to condemn him, but to call him to repentance. And, and, and what is repentance? Repentance is a, a church word that we don't use very often in everyday language, but repentance simply means this. It means turning away from and turning to. That's what repentance means. And so in terms of, of our relationship with, with Christ, it means that we're going to turn away from our sin, we're going to turn away from our shame and our regret, and we're going to turn to Jesus. And we're going to lay our regrets down at the foot of the cross. And we're going to set our eyes on the one who redeems us and saves us and calls us. Calls us holy, even if you don't feel holy. Even if you don't act holy. So that whole process. It's that whole process. And so taking a step to repentance is always a step forward. And so you and I, we, we, with our regrets, we have these options. We either continue to hide them and, and run from them or we expose them. And so how, how do we do that exactly? How do we do that exactly? See, I believe that God refuses to leave you under the weight of your regret. I, I, I believe that with all of my heart. And so, so what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with God. And, and here's the thing about that. Like, you're not going to surprise him. Like, your honesty with God is not going to surprise him in any way. Like, being honest with God and saying, God, here's my regret. Here's, here's, here's where uh, I, I've tried to, to hide this or hide that or, or this or that. You know, here it is. I'm going to lay it before you. Like, there's never going to be a moment. There will never be a moment in your life where God just looks at you and says, like, when, what? When did that happen? How did you get a, what, huh? Like, you didn't do that. Like, that'll never happen. And God's response is the same response as Nathan's. I know. But I still love you. I know. I remember as a 16-year-old, uh, when I first started driving, I had, uh, I had this stick shift, this car. I was learning to, how to drive a stick shift. That's right. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. Like, every car is an automatic now, right? So, like, kids, you're lucky. Anyway, so I, I had to I had to learn how to drive this this stick shift, you know, this manual transmission car, and and uh, that's, so that's what I I wasn't very good at the hills. Anybody else? Like you're just horrible at the hills when you first started driving those things. Yeah, I was bad at it. And so I remember uh, I remember coming home from practice one uh, late one evening. It was about nine o'clock, and so uh, on my way to my house, there was this little hill that I had to go up, and and going up the hill, like I, I always killed it going up this hill. And so a lot of times I, w I took the long way home just so I didn't have to go up this hill. But I was kind of running late, so I, I you know try to drive up this hill. And as I'm driving up this hill, I kill it right, absolutely just died right on this hill. And so like I was smarter than that. I wasn't going to try to start it and try to go up the hill from where I was at. So I just backed it down to the flat part, right, down to the street, down to the flat part, started over, gave it another shot, went up the hill, right, get home. Parents were already in bed by the time I get home. So, you know, I'm thinking, like, gosh, good. I'm glad nobody saw that because there wasn't anybody on the street. There weren't any houses around. I mean, I was, I was good. I get up the next morning, sitting there. I'm having breakfast. My dad walks into the room. My dad walks in there, and he says, so, heard you killed the car on the hill last night. You know, I'm like, I got, like, fruity pebbles hanging out of my mouth. I'm like, what? You know, I'm just like, and so I'm thinking to myself in this moment, I'm going, I have an option here. <laughs> I can deny it, or I can just own up to it. And then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, 
heck did he even know? Like, what is going on with this? My parents always told me, like forever, they always told me, you will never do anything that we don't know about. I didn't believe them up until that point. At that point, I was like, yep, you're right. You, I, you will always know, <laughs> right? And I had no idea. Still to this day, I have no idea how my parents found out about that. No idea, no clue. And so I was just like, yeah, you know, just knew it, right? Just knew it. And so it's good, like it's freeing, it's freeing just to, just to be honest and say, you know what, here, here it is. Secondly, and we've already talked about it, is just repentance. First, we be honest with God, and then secondly, because we're not going to surprise God, secondly, we, we repent. We turn, we turn from that and we turn to the cross. And then third, last but not least, and I think this is the hardest one. This is the one, it's like, you know what, I can do number one, I can, I can, I can do number two. This is the one that's the hardest. It's that we be honest with somebody else. That we talk to someone else. We tell someone else. You know, we, we say all the time here, we say it's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay there because God refuses to leave you in that place. And part of that process, part of that healing in that process is to be honest with somebody else and to be able to say, I've confessed to the Lord, I've repented, now I want to be honest with you, I want to tell you my story. And, and really, essentially, uh, we don't have time to unpack this, but really, this is, Tara, it's just the first seven steps of recovery, is it not? It's just the first seven steps in, in, in recovery. We have recovery groups that meet here on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, and that's, something, like, that's a safe place for you to be able to come, just to be able to sit with other people who are going to look at you in the eye and go, I know. Let me put my arm around you. Let me love on you. Let me pray with you. And not just there, but even here on Sunday morning. Because listen, I'm going to tell you all this. Like, this is not the kind of church where we act one way on Tuesday and act another way on Sunday. Like, everybody in this room, whether you want to believe it or not, you're jacked up just like I am. Welcome to the club. It's a circus. But Jesus redeemed us. And it's with that step, by laying it before the foot of the Lord, repenting, and having a conversation with somebody else. Because that somebody else, the beautiful thing about that story with somebody else is somebody else is going to be able to come beside you. And not just, not going to like, you know, whatever, just, you know, be like, oh, you know, it's okay, it's okay, I've done that too, it's going to be all right. Not, not just that, but just to be able to say, hey, you know what? God can, God can redeem you from this. God can use you. God can speak into your story. Like you have, this is not a period. This is a comma for you. To, to call you up on, you know, the middle of the week and, and be able to say, hey, how are you doing with that thing? Because I know that this is one of those times where you're typically struggling. How are you doing with that? Like those are the, those are the hard things. Those are the hard places. That's what, that's what we're called to. So be honest with God, repent, and then be honest with others. So let me ask you, what, what option will you choose? To continue to hide your regrets or to expose them to light? I want to invite you as we uh, close our time together this morning, invite you to, um, to do just that. To take a few moments to, to be honest with God, to, to repent before the Lord, and, and then maybe after the service today with 
any of our pastors, anybody in the room, somebody in our recovery ministry, or just somebody that uh, is close to you, somebody that's a, a believer who can walk with you, be able to just be honest with them. And maybe it's not right now in this moment. Maybe maybe there's some praying that takes place for the, the faith to have to, to take that step. Or maybe it's just filling out a Connect card uh, before you leave here today and just saying, you know what, I, I'm going to write this on this Connect card. I, I want you to pray with me and pray for me. And letting that being a starting place for you. But whatever that is, but we have... We have communion available as we do each week here at the Ridge, and there's a, a table back in that back corner back there. There's a table right here, and we have the, the, the bread and, and, and the juice, the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, which is just the, the representation and the picture of what Jesus did. When he said that I've come into the world to not condemn it, but to save it, like this is it. This is the proof of that. So we take communion as a remembrance of that, to be able to say, thank you, Jesus. So we ask you that as we close this morning, as we sing this song together, that, that you take time to, to pray through these things, to, to maybe take those steps and, and just work through them, to begin to work through them. And then when you're ready, and, and, and if you want, we invite you to come and take communion with us. And so let me read this last verse to you. Isaiah 53 verse 5 and 6. Uh, typically you read from the ESV, but the, the New Living Translation really paints a beautiful, much more understanding picture of, of this verse. So I'm going to read it from the NLT, but it says this. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins 